Have you ever lost your child? Maybe at a sporting event or maybe at the grocery store. Um, it can be a, a very scary experience. Most of the time, fortunately, it, it, it's okay. It turns out okay, but as a parent, it, it can be nerve-wracking. For example, a few years ago when we were uh, visiting some family in another state, uh, we all got together and piled up in different cars, and we all began to go to a movie, I think it was, uh, Ashley, and we looked around and we thought, well, where's Bryant? And, uh, and I just assumed Bryant was with Ashley or with some of the other family, and we got, we got close to the movie and we, we looked at each other and said, we left him. So we had to go back and there he was, just standing there in the yard, and we, we forgot it. <laughs> but it gets worse. When Leighton was two years old, uh, we were at… Uh, <laughs> Somebody's clapping, Layton. I don't know. <laughs> You're famous. Uh, when he was two years old, we were uh, in Gulf Shores, Alabama. He's 21, so that would be many years ago. And so we're just, I guess, I don't know, just in the living room, just talking, his family and Ashley's parents' home, and uh, Layton goes missing. A guy knocks on our door and has our two-year-old, Layton, had gotten out the door, put his mom's high heel shoes on, and was walking down the street. And a guy drives by and sees him and says, young man, I, I guess you're with this home. So he, he picks Layton up and he takes, knocks on the door. And you should see the look on my wife's face. Because is this, is this boy yours? And she said, oh, heavens, yes. And so he said, let me tell you a story. Complete stranger. He said, the identical thing happened to us when our son was about the age of your son, but he was at church when it happened to him. He walked out the nursery, somehow a little two-year-old, walked out of the preschool, but fortunately, you know, most of the times it, it ends well, and it ended well for Mary and Joseph when the identical thing happened to them nearly 2,000 years ago when Jesus uh, was a child. He was a little older. He was about 12 years of age, but he got separated from his family, and it turned out perfectly well. The text today is Luke chapter 2. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. I'll begin reading in verse 40. We'll read this narrative, uh, this passage of Scripture, this pericope, this narrative that teaches us about the Christ child. Now, last week we looked at a message entitled, Watch the Baby. And today we get to look at a message entitled, Watch the Child. If Mary's claim to the supernatural is valid, then there should be some corroborating evidence to substantiate her claim of a virgin birth. Let me say that again. If Mary's claim to the supernatural being impregnated by the Holy Spirit, if that really did happen, then there should be some corroborating evidence that would substantiate and validate that lofty claim. And that's precisely what we find in Luke chapter 2. For example, the babe. There are angels singing. That's pretty supernatural. There are shepherds running wildly, proclaiming that angels have appeared to us. In fact, there was a heavenly angelic chorus singing, praise be to God, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Simeon, an older man, Anna, an older lady in the temple, revealed to them by the Holy Spirit that that babe in the arms of Mary was a very special babe indeed. So her claims to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit, i.e. to have been a virgin and conceived, it's being substantiated, it's being corroborated, it's being validated by these miraculous events. And that's what we find when we watch the child. Now the child grew 
And he became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Strong in spirit. Think about that. Full of wisdom, and the chorus, the chorus of God is upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12, now Jesus is no longer a babe, he's 12 years of age, we're watching him as a child. They went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother Mary did not know it. But they supposed him to have been in the company. And so they went a day's journey, and they sought him. The imperfect tense of the verb there, sought, means they kept on seeking him in past tense. They kept on seeking him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned. They went a full day's journey. They went a full 20 miles back to Jerusalem seeking present participle, kept on seeking him. And so it was that after they found him after three days, they found him in the temple. And Jesus is sitting there in the midst of the teachers. Now watch what he does. He's listening and asking. Please underscore that. He listens first, then he asks them questions. And all who heard him were astonished. This is one of Luke's favorite words in his writings, and they were astonished. Let's go back to verse 47, please. Sing we now, verse 47, there it is, and all who heard him were astonished. That's, that's one of his favorite words, okay, Luke. Astonished at his understanding and his answers, verse 48. So when they saw him, they were all, there it is again, amazed and astonished. They were perplexed. This is the parents, okay. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. That word anxious in, in the original language literally means to be in torment. We have been perplexed and vexed and anxious and worried. Why have you done this to us? And he said to them, why did you seek me? Jesus said, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be, D-E-I, love that word must. In the Greek, it's D-E-I. It's the word die. It means when Jesus said, marvel now, not that I say unto you, you must be born again. It's a word of obligation, a word of moral constraint. It, it's, a, it's a powerful word. Jesus said, don't you know that I must be about my Father's business? But they did not understand the statement that He spoke unto them. Then He went down with them and came to Nazareth, that's where He had been brought up, and He was subject to them. He was submissive to them. Hupotasso, He placed Himself under their authority. But his mother kept all of these things in her heart. In the last verse, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor, charis. Do you notice that? That's the word charis or charis, where we get the word grace. It's the same word used in verse 40 when we translated it grace, but now we're translating it favor. And in favor with God and with men. So, Father, we just come before you today, and we're asking that you would speak to us through your Word. Lord, I ask you, first of all, to speak to our skeptics, to speak to those, Lord, who are questioning the supernatural. For those, Lord, who are immersed and embedded deeply within rationalism and empiricism, Lord, may you penetrate their minds and their hearts with the supernatural. 
Father, I pray for those of us who have stepped over and believed because of Your grace You have led us to believe. And we have repented of our sins, and we have posited our trust and faith, and eternal life is in You. And so, Lord, I pray for those people today that You would bless them, encourage them. Lord, bolster their faith. Some faiths are weakened, and Lord, they need to be strengthened. And I'm praying today that You, the God of the universe, the God who took upon human flesh, You, Almighty God, would speak to us through Your Word, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God always speaks through His Word. I'm, I'm reminded that any time a, a pastor, a preacher, opens up the sacred Scriptures and publicly reads the Word of God, and feeble his attempt may be, as mine may be, we, we read it and we study it and we preach it every single time. God does the supernatural. Just last week, Sherlock, we gave the invitation. He comes forward. He tells our student pastor, he says, I want to be baptized. And Daniel says, and why do you want to be baptized? He says, because I've given my life to Jesus Christ, and I want to follow Him in believer's baptism. And I'm telling you, that is, that's why we do what we do. That's why we preach. That's why in a few minutes we'll stand and we'll give the invitation for you, for all of you to say, I come today, and I want to place my faith in Christ. I believe in Him. I know that He is who He says He is. It's been validated in my heart. All of it's been substantiated and corroborated. All of it is true, and by faith, I want to receive this child who grew up to become a man. I want to receive him as my Savior. So today, I want us to do two things. I want us to watch the child grow. Then I want us to watch the child's behavior. We can learn a lot from a child if we will slow down and, and look and listen. For example, in verse 40, they are back in Nazareth, in the home city where Jesus Christ would be raised. And verse 40 says, the child grew and he became strong in wisdom and filled with wisdom, strong in spirit, and the grace of God uh, was upon him. I, I love that trilogy of blessings from the Father to the Son. Let us not miss this. This child became strong in spirit. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God. He would need that. How in the world would he confound the wise? How would he listen and ask these probing questions and give these amazing answers unless he had been endued with power by the Father, filled with the spirit of wisdom, filled with the grace and the, and the favor of God? He has it upon him. And we watch it there in verse 40. In verse 52, we see him grow. In verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in the charis, the very favor, grace of God. We see him, as one writer says, he grows intellectually, he grows physically, he grows spiritually, he grows socially, he grows in every one of those facets of growth that are so important to us all. Grace and truth. He's filled with wisdom, truth, and he has the grace of God upon him. Reminds me of the great passage of the incarnation in John chapter 1. It says, and the Word, the Logos of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Did He not? Did He not become flesh? Was He not born of the Virgin Mary? Did He not confound the wise men there in the temple? Did He not dwell among us and we saw it? John says we saw it. We saw His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And here's what I want you to catch for just a few minutes, because it's beautifully stated in Luke chapter 2, and here it is in John chapter 1, that Jesus Christ was a person full of grace, and He was full of truth. Grace and truth personified in Jesus. 
must be exemplified in the life of his follower. Let me say that again. When grace and truth is so personified and embodied in the life of Jesus, it also must be personified and embodied in, in our very lives. Jesus was full of grace, even as a, as a child, full of grace listening, watch this, and full of grace speaking. Full of grace listening, full of wisdom and truth speaking. And really, that's my goal. As a follower of Jesus Christ for many years, I, I, I still am learning, I'm still growing in grace, in compassion, in love, in mercy, in all of those things under the rubric of grace. But I'm also growing in truth, in justice, in honesty, in righteousness. And when you wrap all of those up in one person, you only find it in completion, in totality, in Jesus Christ. But I know it when I see it. Uh, this past week, uh, someone gave me a, a message to, to listen to, and I listened to it, and it was a fabulous uh, message by Bob Russell. Uh, Bob Russell was the pastor of the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He pastored that church. He started when he was 22 years of age, and they were running about 120 when he became the pastor, 22. And when he left, 40 years later, 50 years later, the church was running 18,000 people, multiple services every Sunday. Uh, Bob Russell was given a lecture last month at Southern Seminary, and the title of his message was, The Lessons I Have Learned from the Mistakes That I Have Made. The Lessons I Have Learned from the Mistakes That I Have Made as a pastor. And as he talked about his message, he was funny, he was winsome, and he says, let me tell you about my dad. He said, my dad came to faith in Christ when he was 19 years of age. He and my mom, they raised six children, and my dad was a man of God. He, he made sure we were in church every time the doors were opened, and, and he goes, let, let me tell you the kind of guy my dad was. When, when my dad and I and my family, we, we left our little church to go help plant a church in a nearby community. And things were going well until the pastor, he borrowed a bunch of money and left town. He borrowed a lot of money, took the money, and left town. Nobody could find him. And, he, and Bob Russell said, my dad was so grieved by that. He said he was so hurt by that that this is what he did. He was already working full-time as a laborer, and he took a second job in a sawmill. He borrowed $2,500. Now, let me tell you something. 60, 70 years ago, $2,500 was a lot of money. And so he took a loan out of the bank for $2,500, and he paid that pastor's debts. He paid, he, he paid the bill, and then he worked in the sawmill, and he paid the loan back. And Bob Russell said, that's the kind of guy my dad was. And he said, having a dad like that, you don't have a choice or a chance. You're going to become a pastor. And he said, and that's what happened to me. And I thought about his dad, full of grace, full of truth, grace to even recognize that the name of Jesus, the name of their church would be slighted and be hurt so he takes a job, and a person of truth, once he takes the job and earns the money, he fulfills his, his duty, he fulfills his commitment to God, and he pays it off so that the name of that church would have a good name. I know grace and truth when, when I see it, and that's, and that's what I see in Jesus. Even as a child, the Bible says, that he grew in wisdom 
and having the grace of God upon his life as we watch the child. Next, let's watch his behavior. Verses 41 through 51. I'm going to walk through this with you quickly. There's so much here, but his parents were very dedicated Jews, were they not? In verse 41, it says, his parents went to Jerusalem every year. If you go back to your text, I hope you brought your Bibles. I do hope you bring your Bibles every Sunday. I know we'll print them on the screen, but there are opportunities for you to write notes in your Bible, and I hope you'll do what I do one day. I've got Bibles that are just all marked up. Somebody said, if your Bible's worn out, you're probably not. That's a good word. And so, if you'd mark your Bible up and give it to your children one day, give it to your grandchildren, let it be a gift to them. And so, it says here that they went every year at the feast of the Passover. Deuteronomy 16, 16 teaches us that every year, every Jewish male was obligated to go, to go to Jerusalem or go to the place that God had established and observe the, the feast. And here it says, every three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's the Feast of Passover. It would start with Passover and then would go for seven days, so it was an eight-day celebration. Next would be the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Next, Moses said, it'll be the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every Jewish male had to, he was obligated, go to Jerusalem and observe these feasts. And so that's exactly what Mary and Joseph and the gang are doing in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Verse 42 says, now when he was 12, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Oh, wait a minute. Verse 42, they went up to Jerusalem. How many have ever been to Jerusalem? Let me see your hand. Oh, that's not near enough. We all got to go. We all should take some time in our lives and go to Jerusalem. Because whenever the Bible says Jerusalem, it always uses the phrase, it seems that they go up to Jerusalem. Let me ask you a question. Why would the Bible say in Luke 2.42 that the, the family that lives in Nazareth would go 65 miles south to Jerusalem? Why would it say, even though they went from north to south, that they went up? And here's why. Because whenever the Bible mentions Jerusalem, it's a holy city. It's a holy city not only elevated physically, but it's also elevated spiritually. So check that out when you read your Bibles. It'll talk about we went up to Jerusalem. Even though they may have gone down to Jerusalem, they always look at it in an elevated way, spiritually and geographically. So they go up to Jerusalem. Verse 43, and they had finished the days they returned. But the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. They did not know about it. They supposed he had been in the company. They, they went a day's journey and sought him. Now here's what happens. They go for a full day. Now, Jesus being 12, being a male, he, he, could, he could have been riding in the caravan with, with a bunch of people. And so, don't be too harsh on Joseph and Mary. It can happen. You can lose a child. I, I'm, I promise you, you can. You, it can happen. And so, after going a day, now, now listen to this. It took three days to go from, to Austin to San Marcos. Three days to go from Austin to Temple. Three, no, no not 30 minutes not an hour, three days journey. And so they had gone one full day, a third of the three days, and, the, and Joseph, honey, you seen, you, seen, uh, you seen Jesus? Mary's like, no, honey, I, I, I thought it was you. I bet they had a moment. <laughs> I bet there was a marital moment. Jesus was perfect, they weren't, okay? I bet they're like, well, what do you mean? I thought he said, no, mercy. But notice this, it says they both went back looking for him. I thought that was interesting. 
They both go back looking for him in verse 44. And verse 45 says, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem and they kept on seeking him. But now it was after three days. Now that's verse 46. How do you get three days out of that? Here's how. Here's how. I remember. They're in Jerusalem. They're making their way north to Nazareth. They went a full day. How long did it take them to get back to Jerusalem? It took them a full day. So now we're in the third day. They sleep and they look. The third day, they're looking for Jesus. He's been gone now three days. And they're looking for him. And they find him in the temple. Now, I want y'all to know something. When I was 12 years of age, I was... I'm trying to think of a, a word to say that I was not a very good little boy. I was a thief is what I was. I used to go with my buddies, and we just wreaked havoc on the town that I lived in. We would go to the, uh, to the stores. I can't believe I'm telling you all this. I don't even think my kids know this. It's not in my notes. But anyhow, I was not a good, a good child. I would do things that I should not have done as a 12-year-old, okay? Many evil things that I did as a 12-year-old, things that I looked upon that I shouldn't be looking upon, things that I did and stole. Jesus was in the temple. He wasn't doing any of those things. He was in the house of God, and he was listening to his Father. He's imbued by the Holy Spirit, and, and he's listening, and he's speaking, and when they find him, they're amazed. Because when they run upon the temple precinct, and they see it's their son, and he is standing there, and the people are looking at each other going, this guy's amazing. How, how, how old are you, boy? I'm 12. How did you know that? Who taught you that? It was a moment. They found him after three days. He's listening to them. He's asking them questions. And everybody who heard him, verse 47 says, they were absolutely astonished. That's in the imperfect tense, by the way. They kept on being astonished at the things that he said, his answers and his understanding. Verse 48, so they saw him. They were amazed. His mother said to him, now here's where it gets interesting. She's, <laughs> she's a little panicky, okay? She's nervous. She's anxious. She's fretting. Let me see if I can read it correctly. Son, why have you done this to us? Or maybe she's having like, y'all know what I'm saying? Some of you guys, like, and Jesus is just, you know, looking at her and, look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. If you don't believe me, look up that word in, in the Greek in verse 48. It means to be pierced. It means to be hurt. It means to be full, overflowing with anxiety. And so she is anxious. And so Jesus basically had to say, Mom, chill out. Listen to me. Why did you seek me? One translation has it. Why didn't you know where to look for me? That's interesting, isn't it? You, you shouldn't be worried. Do you remember how I was born? Do you remember... Angels singing, you remember? It's, it's okay. Don't you know, verse 49, that I had to be about my father's business? And what does that mean? Part of Jesus' business was teaching. We see him as a 12-year-old. We see him especially as a 30-year-old. He was a master teacher. And if you would listen to him, then you would, you would receive the very revelation and knowledge of God. And, and so Jesus... I believe in this text in verse 12, I don't think he's being disrespectful. 
I don't, I don't think he's rebuking Mary. I just think he's saying, listen, Mom, <laughs> I know you're fretting and I know you're anxious, but it is all right. I am doing precisely what the Father has called me to do. They didn't understand it, verse 50 says. They did not understand the word that he spoke to them. But in verse 51, they said, he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And watch what Luke does. Luke makes an interesting statement here about Jesus. In case you and I thought that he was a rebellious 12-year-old saying, Mom, chill out. I just got to do what I got to do. No, it wasn't that. It was, Mom, it's okay. I really need to do what I need to do. And Luke tells us that by using that word hupotasso to mean to place yourself under the authority of another in verse 51. And he was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. Now, lest you and I are too judgmental of Joseph and Mary, what would you have done? What would I have done? I, I know me. I too would have been panicky. I would have been anxious. I would have been worried. I would have been fearful. And when you juxtapose Jesus up against all of those emotions, we see Him as resolute, composed, calm, wise. And so as I, as I look at Christ, as I watch the child, as I watch His behavior, I'm instructed and I'm, I'm taught valuable lessons. I'm taught how important it is that when God is on the scene, everything is okay. When I don't understand God and when I can't figure out what is He doing, Mary and Joseph, where is He? What is He doing? And, we, and our blood pressure starts to rise and, and we start getting anxious. We start wiping our brow and we start going, okay, now where's God? God, where are, where are you right now? Where are you? Can't figure this out. And we're going through a hard time and our, our marriage is, is suffering. Our, our bank account's almost empty. Our children are not well. God, I'm up in years and it seems like nobody cares for me anymore. God, where, where are you? And, and there we are, panicky and worried and fearful and anxious. And yet God never panics. God's never anxious. God never gets worried. He's just like, just chill out. Do you remember the verse in Isaiah 40, 31? God gave me this verse just this week. Because prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to worry my little mind above. I mean, I, and, and God just starts saying, would you, would you calm down? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. Y'all know this verse? Mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and they'll not grow faint. Have you ever been on Highway 183 in Austin, Texas at 5.30 on a Tuesday afternoon? It's miserable. You better have uh, some patience about you. Because, I mean, it's, you're locked in. If you live where I live, just, just, it's going to be a while. So I'm just driving, trying to be patient. It's hard. I got somewhere I'm trying to go. I turn the radio on. I have this ESPN XM radio and the Paul Feinbaum show comes on, Leighton, Paul Feinbaum, biggest Alabama fan you'll ever meet in your life, bless his soul. <clears throat> he has a guy on there he's interviewing named Dabo Sweeney. Dabo, now who in the world would name their son Dabo? That's not his name. That's the name his 18-month-older sibling brother gave him when he was a little infant. And it goes like this. This is kind of cute. But Dabo shared this story. He said, 
my older brother, when he was 18 months older than me and I was just a little infant, he would try to say that boy. Dabbo. Dabbo. Y'all with me? Dabbo. So they said, we'll call him Dabbo. That's it. Dabbo Sweeney. Went on to play at the University of Alabama, was a great, great wide receiver. He wanted to become a coach. He got his opportunity in 2003, the head football coach, University of Alabama, uh, Mike Price. Mike Price said, I'm going to the, the Rose Bowl, going to coach, then I'm going to come back. I'm offering you a job. Would you like to become the tight end coach at the University of Alabama? And Dabo Sweeney said, are you kidding me? That's my alma mater. I would love to be the tight end coach. And they said, it's yours. So Mike Price went on and coached for another team, and Alabama had offered him the job, and so he came back, and Dabo said he, he didn't call me. And I was a little bit worried. I was like, you know, I, it's 2003, I started my coaching career, and man, I, I'm, I'm hoping I still got this job. So he said, so I called him, and I said, Coach Price, what, what's going on? He said, well, I got bad news for you. <laughs> I'm rescinding the offer. I'm sorry, but I think you're too young, and I need to give this job to someone seasoned, more seasoned than you. My sons are on my staff. They're young. You're too young. So I hope you understand. When Dabo Sweeney says, I was crushed. Man, I had that job. That's a job of a lifetime to be coach at my alma mater. And he took it away from me. He said, but what happened next? Because of what happened next, I never worry again. I'm, I'm never worried Boy, it got my attention. Bumper to bumper, 183. I'm like, this guy just said he, he never struggles with something I seem to perpetually struggle with. And I said, man, I'm listening. And Dabo Sweeney, on, on live radio, on the interview, he kept talking about the Lord. And Feinbaum, I know he was getting a little bit, you know, can you tone this thing down? He just listening to me, but he didn't interrupt him. He just says, the Lord showed me something that day. And here's how the story goes. Six months later, Coach Price never coached a game for the University of Alabama, was dismissed because of some egregious behavior. With, there's a whole story there. He needed to be fired, and he was fired. And Dabo said, had I gone on his staff, what would have happened to me? He says, I, I'm sure I would have lost my job too. Yeah, let me tell you what happened to me. 2003, six months after I didn't get the job, the job I thought would be the, the job, Clemson. Clemson University offered me a job. And they said, how would you like to be our wide receivers coach? He says, man, I'm looking for a job. Clemson, is that in South Carolina? Yes, okay, so I'll take it. 2003. 2008, he becomes the interim head coach at Clemson University. He does a good job. They offer him the head coaching job in 2008 at Clemson University. Next weekend, as the head coach of Clemson University, Dabo Sweeney will coach his team in the playoffs. He says, this is what I learned. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> Let me say it. God knows what he's doing. Had I taken that job, it would have been miserable. I probably would have got fired. I would have missed my opportunity at Clemson. I would never become the head football coach of the Clemson Tigers. He didn't say this, but I want to say this. I hope they win it all. I really do. I especially hope they beat Alabama. But anyhow, I hope they, I hope they win it all. Roll Tide. <laughs> they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They're going to run and not be weary. They're going to walk and not faint. 
Joseph and Mary are anxious and fretting and worried and fearful. And Jesus is calm, resolute, poised, full of grace, full of wisdom. Who do you want to be more like? Man, I want to be more like Him. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes, we'll, we'll wrap up our Christmas message. We'll offer you an invitation. I think it's just too good for you to refuse. And then we'll pray, and then we'll be, we'll be done. And I just want to encourage you with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed. As you watch the infant, as he's born miraculously, angels singing, shepherds running, old people praising, watch the child. Submissive to his parents, yet in the temple, having to do what he had to do. Teach, confound the wise, full of grace, full of truth. Would you like that? Would you like to step out of where you are and receive all that God has for you to receive? Would you like to receive his pardon, his forgiveness, his joy? Then what you have to do is this. You have to say, God, I've blown it. Lord, I know that in my pride and my arrogance, I have resisted you. But today, I just cannot resist you. You are compelling me to lay aside my pride, to lay aside my way of doing things and embrace you, God, embrace the way you do things. If you want to be born of a virgin and you want to die on a cross and rise from the dead, you want to save me, hallelujah, save me. This very day, God, I give you my life. Would you do that? Would you here today, would you receive the Christ child who became a man, died for your sins, arose from the dead, would you receive him as your Savior, just like Sherlock did, uh, just like many are doing? Just call upon the name of the Lord and say, God, forgive me. I give you my life this very day. Some of you are here and you've accepted the Lord, and like, like me and like many other Christians, you, you, you really resonate with Joseph and Mary and the panic and the fear and the anxiety, especially even during this time. And I think that's so ironic that at the very time that we should be composed and resolute and joyous and full of grace and truth at Christmas of all times, come on, we're anxious and worried. We can't sleep. We got to get all these presents done and we, we got to wrap things up. No, no, no. I think God more than anything else wants to give you the, the gift of, of calm, gift of peace. Would you receive it? Would you just inhale? Just just breathe deeply. Just be calm. Be, be composed. Allow the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, to permeate you even now. Receive Him. Father, we do thank You. We are grateful people that You have come and You have shown us the way of salvation. You've shown us the way of sanctification, which is simply this, trust and obey. Because there's really no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust Him and obey Him. And I pray, God, that's what would happen. Even as we stand in a moment. As people are singing and counselors are standing and greeting, Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would just move up and down these aisles. And there would be a real freedom, Lord, an unprecedented freedom in some hearts to say, man, I'm stepping out. I'm I'm." I'm going forward. I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm going to become a part of this church. I'm going to start, man, I'm going to start this, I'm going to start this relationship right. Come on, let, let's go to the altar. Let's pray and let's, let's commit our lives to the Lord today. 
I pray it happens in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as you stand to your feet and sing the song of praise to the Lord? I invite you to come even now as we sing. Thank you.